0: I'm not sure if they uh, still do this, but when I was in elementary school, our school would uh, hand out these these trees for Earth Day, and they would lecture us about saving the planet, and they would teach us about the importance of trees, and they would uh, send us home with these these sticks to plant in our yard, and that, that's really all it all it was. I remember riding the bus home that day, a giant uh, metal rectangular box full of annoying children with their Earth Day Sticks, and sure, some of these baby trees looked like they had a, a fighting chance, and uh, I walked into the house that afternoon proud of my, my tree, but I could tell my parents were not very hopeful that this thing would grow into much. Uh, it wouldn't take much for wildlife or wind to destroy my tree, and so we planted it anyway. So one tiny stick in my yard, no branches, no leaves, it was just a stick pointing out of the dirt. And week after week, it survived. And and week after week, and year after year, that stick turned into this, this beautiful white pine tree, a tree that would swallow our yard, a, a tree that would stand over 30 feet tall. Uh, it was just a stick, but, but it grew into, into so much more. So sure, people might look at you and think, that person doesn't have a lot to offer. There's no way they can change. There's no way they can grow into anything more than the mess that they are right now. And sure, you, you might think the same about yourself. There's not a lot of hope for me. I see a lot of people around me that, that seem strong, and, and it seems like they got their lives together. I just don't think I'll ever be that. So this is a message for those that feel hopeless. This is a message for those that feel like they could never become strong. This is a message about a tree planted in the waters, a tree that yields fruit and a tree that does not wither and a tree that that prospers. This is a message of prayer and, and praise and pleading for us to become righteous in God. This is a message about the planted tree. So we'll be in Psalm 1 today. If you have a digital Bible, I will be reading out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, it will all be um, in your bulletin. All the main passage is in your notes. I'll pray and we'll get started. Is it? It's hot in here, isn't it? Okay, is it just me? I'm like, whew, all right. I need one of them like rags to, okay. We'll fix it for second service. Um, Sorry, y'all. Let's pray and then we'll walk through the text together. Father, we humbly come before you and just so thankful to gather with brothers and sisters and and Christ, help us to be overwhelmed by the gospel. Help us to be overwhelmed with what Christ has done and just a reminder to myself yesterday and hearing a testimony that God, that, that the gospel should just shake us when we're in here, that we should be overwhelmed and God forgive us when we aren't. God, as we start a new series and we look at Psalm, God, is not just um, another series for the church. It's an opportunity to, to look at your word. It's an opportunity to read Psalm 1 and, and to understand it and to hear what your word has to say that it might encourage and, re- and rebuke and challenge us as we uh, walk in Christ. And we pray these things in your son's name, Amen. This morning we're going to kick off our summer series um, that could last as long as the end of August. No apologies there, but this series is called Sacred Exhortations. Sacred in that psalm means praises or divine or supernatural or holy exhortations that they urge us to repent, uh, to pray, to praise, to see the weight of God's glory. So we're going to study these sacred exhortations week after week from the book of Psalms. And before we begin, we need a proper foundation to build from. And honestly, anytime you or or we study a book of the Bible, it's good for us to at least know some of the background of studying that book or simply like don't expect to study the Bible, to read the Bible well, if you don't know any of the context. Psalm in the Hebrew means song of praise or praises. It's a collection of at least six different men writing poems over several centuries. There's 73 psalms that we can attribute to King David. There are 50 of the psalms that we do not have an author, but many scholars believe it's also David who wrote these psalms. But honestly, the the biggest issue with the psalms is its structure. Like, how do we read it? Is there any pattern here? Is there, is there any structure to this book? Because let's be real, most of us treat uh, the Psalms like a, a magic eight ball, meaning we open our Bible and we just start reading a verse and hope that it applies to our life today. And, and growing up in church, that's, that's what I did. If I was sad or if I was discouraged, I would read a random Psalm. And if that random Psalm was about sin or lament, I'd be like, oop. wrong psalm, and then go and turn to find another one. In fact, someone in our church uh, told me last week that their friend called psalms David's mixtape. So it certainly reads like that at times. It it certainly just seems so random. It seems like there's no obvious pattern, and if you're struggling with that like I do, you're not alone, because all throughout church history, uh, men and women have agreed and disagreed and discussed the structure of of the Psalms. So let me give us at least an elementary understanding of the structure to work from. So the Hebrew text divides Psalms into five books. So book one, there's Psalms 1 through 41. Book two, Psalm 42 through 72. Book three, Psalm 73 through 89. Book four, Psalm 90 through 106, and book 5, Psalm 107 through 150. Some think that this book order reflects the Pentateuch or the five books of the Old Testament. Certainly merit to make that assumption. But if anything, each of these first four books of Psalms ends with a, a very similar doxology. Okay, you can go to the end of every book and, and see it. Each of the first four books ends with, May the Lord be praised. And then when we get to the fifth book, it ends with five Hallelujah Psalms, or simply, "All of you, praise Yahweh." So, at the very least, we have a five-book division in the Hebrew. In fact, for this summer series, I'll only picking Psalms from Book One. So, in theory, I have a summer series for the next five years at bare minimum. Um, What else? Like, do these five books of Psalms have have any structure? Glad you asked. Um, Because there's a guy named Davey Ellison. He's the director of training for the Irish Baptist College. He wrote a very helpful article on this structure. He shares how each book of Psalms is pointing us to the rise of the new Davidic king named Jesus. And he says this because Jesus, (laughs) Jesus says this. Jesus is clear that all of the Bible speaks about himself. You can look at Luke 24, starting in verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words. These are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Davy Ellison, he, he breaks down these five books of Psalms this way. Let's go back through the first uh, or the, through the five books. Book one is the rise of the king. Book two is the rise of the kingdom. Book three is the exile. Book four is the future hope. And book five is the new David. Why share all this? Like, why spend a good portion of the message just setting up this book? Well, primarily because. The Sunday hour is not a Jesus pep rally. Like, I did not come here to give you a motivational speech with some scripture attached to it. We gathered here to lift up the name of Jesus and submit our minds and hearts to his word. And submission needs context and clarity. Like, before we submit to something, we must know what we're submitting to. That's why we're not rushing into the Psalms, and if you want to read more on this topic and you're like, that doesn't sound boring at all, I want to read more on what Jason was talking about, uh, you can buy this book. It's called The Flow of the Psalms from Palmer Robertson, that's not Pat Robertson or any of the Duck Dynasty guys. It's The Flow of the Psalms by Palmer Robertson. That's what I'm currently reading, along with other several resources um, With all that being said, let's dive into Psalm 1, Psalm 1, verse 1 in the text. Let's read it together and we'll walk through it. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Well, the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's a thing um, in biblical poetry called chiasms. A chiasm is when an author writes a series of ideas, and then he repeats that same idea in reverse order. So chiasms are structured in a series of letters like A, B, B, A. So A, B have the same idea, and then in reverse order we have B, A show the same idea, which is exactly the same order of this psalm, Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is a chiasm of A, B, B, A. And in case you're lost, think of it in a modern chiasm like this. When the, tough, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. When the going gets tough, the tough gets going. That's a, that's a modern chiasm. And it's important to know that because it helps us see what this passage is talking about. In, case we, uh, in this case, we see a direct comparison between the righteous and the wicked. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. I'm going to answer two questions that the text answers. What are the righteous? What are the wicked? So let's go through the first question. What are the righteous? If you're a note taker, what are the righteous? Well, they're blessed. Blessed. It's the obvious one right out of the gate. It's a running theme throughout the Bible. It's a running theme throughout the Psalms. It is those that are righteous that are blessed. Blessed is the man or simply the godly person. How do you gain this kind of blessing? Well, verse 1 of our text, it shows us, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Three verbs of warning right there in the text. Don't walk, don't stand, don't sit with the wicked. It's the same warning we see elsewhere in the scriptures. This is Proverbs 4:14. Do not enter the path of the wicked. And do not walk in the way of the evil. Then Psalm 26, 4. And do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. Or let me put it like this. The righteous are blessed because they don't attach their lives to those that are wicked. Or, or let, me, let me put it like this. We've heard this growing up a lot. Bad company corrupts. Maybe we have not. Okay? <laughs> bad, bad company corrupts anyone Good character. Yeah. Awesome. Which is actually not just something that grandma tells us or a sibling tells us. It's from 1 Corinthians 15. So 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 30. Why are we in danger every hour? This is Paul speaking. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought the beast at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Look, you and I have heard this a thousand times, but we often fail to learn it. You become who you spend the most time with. It does not matter if you're religious or not. It does not matter if you're super strong in the faith or not. It's a guaranteed promise. You will become who you spend the most time with. And not just because you fall into their bad habits, although that's, that's partly true, but because you buy into their worldview. I mean, that's the concern that Paul has in 1 Corinthians 15. You become who you spend the most time with because you will slowly begin to adopt their worldview. So you want to be good with your money? Spend time with people that are good with their money. You want to be physically healthy? Spend time, most time, with people that are physically healthy. But the text is speaking about something far more than a temporary blessing here. This is an eternal godly blessing, meaning if you want to walk in righteousness, then spend the most of your time with those that walk in righteousness. Spend most of the time with those that have this worldview of making much of Christ rather than themselves. The text describes these people in verse 2. They delight in the law of the Lord they meditate on this law day and night. Two things to consider when we see that word law in verse 2. First, uh, the law is not just the first five books of the Bible. The law is not just the do's and don'ts of the Bible. The law is the entire Bible. Secondly, the readers of verse 2, well, they didn't own a Bible, It's not like they could pick up their Torah study Bible or open their Torah Bible app. These believers have heard the story of God over and over again. They have spent their day remembering who God is and what God has done for them. They have gone about their errands, remembering God's faithfulness from God's Word that they have kept in their mind, meaning righteous men and women delight in the Word, they meditate on the Word. And righteous men and women go about their business with the word spinning in their minds. And righteous men and women spend most of the time with those that do the same. It doesn't mean they're perfect or they have everything figured out. It means they love the word. They read the word. They think about the word. They do their best to apply the word. Wicked men and women, well, they don't do that. Here's the truth. Um, you and I usually don't get to pick who our family is and who our coworkers are. That's a story for a different day. But we do get to pick who our friends are, uh, the people that we date, and the people that we choose to marry. So let me address the relationships that we have the most control over. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are pursuing righteousness, then attach yourself closely to others who delight, who love, who treasure, and who meditate on God's word. So don't look for a guy or girl that says they are a Christian. Look for a guy or girl that delights and meditates and applies the word of God. Don't look for a future wife or a future husband that just has decent morals and they're they're fun to hang out with. Look for a husband or wife that delights and meditates and applies the word of God. And if I can throw something extra in there, you won't even know how to look for that until you're doing the same. And I can give you story after story after story of tragic Failed relationships because a couple pursued temporary desires over eternal blessings. I mean, better to be single the rest of your days than be married and miserable the rest of your life. You want to be blessed? Well, then connect yourself to men and women that delight and meditate and apply the word of God. What are the righteous? The second one is they're fruitful. They're fruitful. Verse 3, the righteous, they're like a tree planted in streams of water. You can see this um, from the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, starting in verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who trusts is the Lord. He is like a, a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of the drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. The righteous person has their roots buried in the living waters of Christ. So the heat will come. They don't have reason to fear. And the, the drought certainly will come. They, just, they, don't have, they don't have any reason to be anxious. How? Like how, how do the, the leaves stay green in the heat? How does, how does the tree, how can the tree bear fruit in the drought? This is Philippians 1, starting in verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The righteous... Have no reason to fear or be filled with anxiety because even if the world burns, they still have righteousness in Christ and God. I mean, come what may, we have Christ. Like, don't you get that? It it, it doesn't mean that we won't fear. It doesn't mean that we won't be anxious at times. We just have no eternal reason to. There's no reason to fear Or be filled with anxiety when we hear about rumors of war or inflation or recession or school shootings or poverty or sickness or death. That doesn't mean we act like fools and ignore wisdom. It just means that we have uh, these righteous, eternal eyes to see things how they are. You can see this in Psalm 112, one of my favorite psalms. Unfortunately, I won't get to it in this series, but Psalm 112 Starting in verse 6, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks and triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever, and his horn is exalted in honor. So take it all away but you will not take away my righteousness in Christ. That's the fruit we have. That's the fruit that's promised to the planted tree in Galatians 6, 9. So let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. What do the righteous have? Uh, thirdly, well, they're, pros- they're prosperous. They're prosperous. End of verse 3, in all that they do, they are prosper. Now, I do think that the righteous have a better chance of prospering in this life at times. Uh, so if you work hard, and you work with integrity, and you treat people with love and respect, and you serve one another, and you put other people's needs before your own, if you do those things, life will probably go better for you. If ministry has taught me anything, it's that those that walk in consistent, faithful righteousness over the long haul live lives that are way better than those that don't. But if ministry has taught me anything, I know plenty of faithful, God-honoring individuals and families that have just gone through it. And they're faithful to Christ, And no one would look at their life and say, yeah, they're prospering. So we have this this theological issue here in the text. Because righteousness doesn't always equal prospering in this life. It can mean that, but just not always. So what do we do? Well, look to the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, starting in verse seven whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him. The power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings, become like him in his death, so that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul gave it all up for Christ, and then Christ became his surpassing worth. Meaning, prosperous Christians are not Christians that have the biggest house or the nicest clothes. Prosperous Christians are prosperous because they have Christ. Christ has become their treasure, which means they've gained it all. The righteousness are not hoping that, man, if I work hard enough, that one day I will be prosperous. No, friends, we have gained Christ now. The greatest value, the resurrection from the dead. What are are the righteous? They're they're blessed, they're fruitful, they're prosperous. But verse 4 is the turning point of the text for the next question. And sadly, it's only one fill in the blank. The wicked are one thing in Psalm 1. What are the wicked? Well, they're condemned. They're condemned. Verse 4, the wicked are not like anything mentioned in the first three verses. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Well, what is that? During this time, they would lay the harvest on the ground and the oxen and cattle would would trample on the harvest and separate the grain from the inedible parts. And so the farmer would stick his winnowing fork into uh, the floor, throw it up, grain would fall to the ground, chaff would be in the air, and the wind would drive it away. And we see this language from John the Baptist in Matthew 3. John says this, speaking about Jesus Matthew three twelve, his winnowing fork in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn where the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. That's the wicked. They are not planted in water. They're driven away by the wind. It's, it's these prophetic words in verses five through six. Everyone will be judged, but the wicked will not stand. They are condemned. The the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the wicked, well, they are condemned and will perish. This is John 3, 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Believes in Christ is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. He's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If you are not in Christ this morning, you are already condemned you are condemned in judgment so your prophetic future is to perish forever the righteous are blessed the wicked will perish and that's a that's a pretty serious problem that Psalm 1 brings to the table for us so my question to you as my summary question is will you be like a tree Planted in water, or like chaff that the wind drives away. So choose a side. Choose a side. The righteous are blessed, fruitful, prosperous, the wicked are condemned. In all seriousness, pick a side. No games. No silly Christian cliche baggage, just you staring face to face with eternity. Will you be like a tree planted in water or like chaff that the wind drives away? Last weekend, um, my wife and I took some time off to rest. And Matthew, he spoke last week, preached last week, did an excellent job teaching for me. Um, It was needed just to get away and rest several days of no kids, no problems, no responsibilities, and excited to rest and read the Word and spend time with friends and and eat good food. And Thursday came and went, um, and my Bible stayed in my luggage. Friday came and went, and my Bible stayed in my luggage. And Saturday and Sunday and Monday came and went, and my Bible stayed in my luggage. Five days, peace and quiet, plenty of time, and my Bible stayed in my luggage. I, I want to be righteous. I want to delight in the Word. I want to meditate on the Word. I want to be a pastor here at East River Park that you all deserve. I really do. I really want to be righteous. But I I still struggle with sin. I still struggle to walk in righteousness. So I hope we don't walk away from Psalm 1 with this false motivation to try really, really hard to be a good Christian and be this planted tree. Because if that's all you get from this message, I have failed you. We want to be righteous, that's for sure. But our righteousness is is like filthy rags before the holy God. Isaiah 64, 6. We've all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So please don't leave here trying to be the planted tree on your own. 2 Corinthians 512, for our sake he made him Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What are the righteous? Well, simply, they're in Christ. It's his righteousness that that drives us to the cross and the darkness of our sin. And it's his righteousness that drives us to pursue holiness like he is holy. So will you be like a tree planted in water or like chaff that the wind drives away? Because if you wanna be like that planted tree, then you need to be in Christ. I'll leave you with this one, 1 Corinthians he, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And if you want to talk about anything in Psalm 1 as we kick things off or just need to be prayed over, I would love to do that after the service. Let's uh, pray and we'll sing together.